Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. I could easily kill you now, but I'm determined to have your brain. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Hi, my name is Chris, and along with Jeff, we talk about movies that aren't really awful at all. Horror, action, kung fu, musicals, post-apocalyptic, women in prison films, and much, much more. From our downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 318 of the Really Awful Movies podcast, 2019's Haunt. Uh, now, the Halloween Funhouse subset of horror is not a genre with which I'm particularly familiar um, we can look to exemplars, let's say from the 80s, like uh, Toby Hooper's uh, Funhouse, which had a really amazing um, and a really extraordinary uh, video box cover from what I can gather. And it was always on, um, on the back burner as uh, in my mental, I guess, to rent list, but I never actually got around to it, um, even though I'm sure it has a pretty good look if um, the cinematography is any, any indication because... I believe it's Andrew Kovacs, who was also the guy who gave uh, the Warriors such a, an amazing, gritty uh, Bronx and Brooklyn and uh, generally a New York overall feel. So he was he, he did cinematography for that, you know, uh, Walter Hill, just classic. And then there's also, I think from a couple years ago, although it could be more recent, um, Hellfest, which is about a traveling uh, uh, Halloween carnival type scenario. And... Uh, a bunch of, uh, I guess, teens who become caught up in it with, uh, uh, I guess, predictable results. Now, the uh, Halloween Funhouse is interesting because it's part of a broader trend that uh, goes back uh, to only fairly recent times uh, where, I guess, the commodification of Halloween was meant to, I guess, dissuade uh, youth from engaging in well the uh, the trickery aspect of uh, of Halloween, which typically involved pranks that could actually be quite harmful. So, as an effort to corral uh, wayward youth into and channel their uh, you know aggression and their energy into something more, I guess contained, they would um, create these uh, Halloween haunted house type things and hopefully get everyone to. Uh, to these, but also even just to dress up and go door to door generally, because that was a surefire way to keep people at least certainly more safe than it would be with various pranks involving tractors being pushed down a hill or maybe uh, people's front steps being removed and uh, all the, you know, concomitant (laughs) broken limbs uh, that that would entail. So it's it's definitely part of the uh, commodification of the holiday and the, the, the whole haunted house phenomenon uh, on the organized side of things is a reflection of that. Uh, on the more disorganized side, you always have the local neighborhood uh, eccentrics who would, uh, I guess, every Halloween turn their, turn their property into a fun house. And I think this is an experience with which many of you can relate. Uh, at least on these shores, when you're going out trick-or-treating, there was always one or two houses that went completely all in and 
did uh, a bunch of uh, tombstones and uh, and various uh, ghosts and goblins and ghouls and uh, usually a cheesy a ghetto blaster playing, you know, a bunch of a bunch of spooky, spooky noises. You know, I almost want to, you know, what uh, segue into the monster mash. But uh, there was always uh, the neighborhood, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, oddball who would do this, and just as we loved this as kids to be able to get that uh, initial extra fright. And that's something that can extend into adulthood as well, because uh, really the that's among most people's uh, highlights of Halloween memories. I mean. The candy is great and all, but uh, after one or two days, you really get uh, the you start to uh, have the uh, sugar hangover sink in, and there's only so much uh, junk food you can really eat. And we would make halls and halls bag garbage bag after garbage bag full of of treats, and it was that was got part uh, that part got a little bit gross. But among the fun uh, we had, at least, was egging the odd house that would dean to give out. Uh, apples and find that acceptable and uh, also smashing people's pumpkins with baseball bats and getting into all heaps of trouble but again by the standards of the great depression or going back to let's say the 1890s it would have been uh, very small potatoes the kind of shenanigans we were up to um as i, as I mentioned about adulthood uh me and the, the missus uh, decide to venture out to a, a local haunted house and the house is an interesting uh, landmark, I guess, in Toronto. And interestingly, uh, two blocks away from the Black Christmas house. So it's in the exact same neighborhood. And when I'm riding around there by bike, uh, I always nerd out and go to the Black Christmas house and take a look. And I'm, I'm sure there's other people, like-minded horror, exploitation aficionados in Toronto who go by there and go, holy shit, that's the Black Christmas house. Um, the house that hosted the the Halloween event is called Casa Loma, and it is a sprawling uh, castle-like mansion built in a kind of a neo-Gothic style by, uh, I think, a 19, 1910 billionaire electri hydroelectricity magnate named, uh, I think, Henry Pallet, and it's unreal. Like, it almost seems like it's uh, tailor-made to film a, a hammer horror film, so it's got... Um, this uh, expansive property and it's uh, it's about f I think several hundred feet above sea level so it's got this great vista of the CN Tower and all this stuff the um, front of this mansion has a beautiful uh, uh, beautiful fountain as does the back and they all it also has two turrets into which you can uh, climb with these uh, tight uh, wrought iron uh, circular stair stairwells and it's it was um, it wasn't actually inside the mansion that was done up for Halloween, but actually the expansive properties. So they had uh, various uh, zombie type creatures shaking cages and this uh, almost predator versus alien uh, kind of animatronic uh, beast hanging out outside. But where they made best use of uh, the facilities was actually in the in the underground tunnels. So this Henry Pellet weirdo, for some reason in 1910, got it into his head that he would build these this underground tunnel that uh, goes underneath the street and goes on several hundred feet in order to connect his somewhat ridiculous looking but super cool mansion with his stables, which is also built in a similar style but using a red brick and also featuring a, quite a high turret. And uh, this is where Casaloma made uh, great use of 
uh, gunshots and demons and ghosts and zombies and uh, projecting different uh, things onto walls and just a really dark and spooky atmosphere as, as one would expect. So I think there was a wine cellar that they incorporated into this thing as well. And it's just a really amazing uh, experience to go through. Well, literally, I guess you could say, uh, and uh, re really a lot of fun. I've been recommending it to my uh, my some of my colleagues at work as a way to really connect with your inner child and uh, and your your you know uh, if if your love of Halloween is dormant, I would hope it isn't, but to reconnect yourself with uh, with with that. Now, a haunt is a 2019 slasher and it was written and directed by the twosome who was behind. I think they produced it for Paramount, but they were they wrote. Um, Quiet Place, which is a film that I confess not having warmed to. John Krasinski, yeah, wandering around in, in, the, in silence. But if listeners are interested in another film that deploys silence and uh, uses that as a major plot point, I would highly recommend the Canadian horror called Pontypool. And it, it takes on extra resonance for Canadians as uh, because of the... Um, I guess a multilingual uh, uh, nation here and just the, the language politics that we have north of the border and uh, French versus English, uh, two solitudes dynamic. But Pontypool is super cool. And I, th I thought that was a way more interesting way to use, I guess, uh, victims who, are, who have to be wary of uh, noises and sounds that they make at all times. So yeah, yay to Pontypool, nay to uh, a quiet place. Now, Haunt... As you might expect, uh, given this uh, rather lengthy, uh, uh, you know, intro to this podcast, is all based upon a Halloween night in uh, Illinois with a bunch of roommates, you know, finding the uh, local bar scene a little bit uh, not to their style, uh, encounters a haunted house attraction on the side of the road. And it should be said, it's quite a remote uh, region. And to get away from that, obviously, uh, conceit that the cell phone can save the day in about 100% of circumstances, they are forced to surrender their devices and sign a bunch of liability waivers. And uh, it's not just any cadre of kids. I mean, th these folks have a really good backstory, including the, um, including the star, who is Harper, and that's a woman, a young brunette, who... Uh, has, has uh, significant uh, challenges at home, including a, uh, a, um, a father who abuses both her and her mother. And her backstory is, is, is rather well-developed, as is her nascent, I guess, uh, the sparks that fly between her and one of the other, and, uh, one of the other members of the party uh, to whom she's uh, introduced uh, in, in the local bar. And he's, uh, his... His name is uh, Nathan, and he's wearing this uh, hastily cobbled together, as one often does uh, on uh, Halloween, baseball furies. Hey, a, call, a callback. Ooh, and, and that's, I don't think I've ever done that on a podcast, but yeah, uh, speaking of the Warriors. No, but he's kind of like a, just a baseball player. He's not even really like a baseball fury, but he just threw on his jersey, went out, and met up with, um, with Harper at this bar, and they all decide to... Uh, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, mesh their friends together, I believe, and just uh, seek adventure elsewhere. Uh, one member of the party, I can't, uh, forgive me if uh, I get his name wrong, but yeah, he, he's one of the, as I said, uh, highly developed characters in this film, and he cuts almost a Jonah Hill type figure, and he's kind of the, uh, uh, provides the uh, comedic relief to the group, and he's really terrific. 
And uh, the, the members of this party, again, they're a diverse, fun group. And in Haunt, Scott Beck and Brian Woods, the uh, co-directors, that, that's usually a major, major uh, warning sign and caveat to a movie, but this one is just stellar here. But they're the auteurs behind this because they uh, wrote and directed this. But they heavily invest, to their credit, to their immense credit, I can say, uh, and I know I'm tipping my hand here a little bit, but to their immense credit, uh, they really build up the camaraderie and the uh, friendship dynamics between the, the, the group and also uh, call back the, um, when uh, they face you know, certain crises, it should be said, in the, um, in the uh, haunted house attraction uh, that reference Harper's difficulties at home. So that was really, really cool. As far as setting a movie in... in a haunted house type attraction. I, I'm always of the mindset that you should take the ordinary and make it extraordinary or make the ordinary more horrific. And that's my personal preference for for horror films. So that's when you take uh, some ramshackle uh, shed or farmhouse on the side of the road in broad daylight in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. To me, I find that a lot more appealing than something that is on the surface supposed to be scary and that can in a way take take you out of a film but again i don't know enough about the space um, what i do know however is this is a dark dark depiction of the haunted house attraction and to the credit of um, of the cinematographer ryan uh, samuel here but I, i'm not familiar with his other work but he really taps into an 80s style uh, zeitgeist and uh, it's i can in no way claim insights uh, that these insights are my own here but it's an observation i've shared in that i think that what the 80s got right when it comes to horror and that's why so many people designate that era as uh, with the this the the term uh, the golden age of the slasher or the golden age of horror more more broadly is that uh, directors there really understood and I'm going to throw in a callback to the amazing Black Christmas opener but directors and producers really understood the effect and the impact and um, that the aesthetic of having shadows and dark and stuff that is not seen uh, that what that effect can have on the finished product and it's something that I, th I think is somewhat lost to the ages now. I say somewhat as directors are less likely to uh, shoot scenes that are as dark as they really should be shot. Um, the haunted house attraction here is anything but. I mean, that is is extraordinarily dark. And much like, I guess, um, how the uh, spatial orientation you have in The Shining is meant to send the viewers uh, astray in a way by disorienting them. Similarly here, you have a structure whose layout seems at, at once familiar, but also uh, uh, strange in terms of, uh, yeah, the, the layout is, it, it re, the directors repeat some of the layout. So you get the sense of the people being trapped uh, rather than going through all different sorts of a, like a broader, bigger structure. And that is used to amazing effect because some of the structure includes things that will um, make you really, uh, you know, that'll get you to your core if you're someone who's claustrophobic. And uh, I, ha I have somewhat of a tendency to, towards that. Um, one of the ex examples of a film that really, really tapped into this 
uh, primal fear is, I think, the descent. Uh, although I didn't uh, care too much for the denouement, but uh, the first hour was just an intense exercise in claustrophobia. Um, there is a, I guess, a wooden crawl space. It's kind of a tunnel. And the characters have to navigate their way through it at one point. And it uh, diverges into, I guess, a, a triad kind of thing. Like, a, you know, I, almost, I always want to ro read, you know, reference a Robert Frost and two roads that diverge in the woods. But this thing is like a, a three-pronged wooden, like, slats. Uh, and they, uh, you know, this tunnel has a sort of clackety-clack feel. And you get the sense that you can somewhat see out, but you can't really get out because it's just too tight to really break through. And uh, crawling along this, uh, like, wooden duct, I found uh, that was uh, pretty, pretty cool. Um, now, um, the uh, haunted house also makes... Uh, sport of uh, people's fears surrounding uh, um, insects, which is common and uh, I think cross-cultural. And there's, uh, I guess, a container into which a bunch of um, fake, as it turns out, I believe it's spiders. Uh, apologies, it's been a several days since I've seen the film, but uh, creepy crawlies fall out of this and onto one of the um, one of the women amongst uh, among their ranks, and that was pretty impactful. There's also coffins playing and amplifying the claustrophobia theme that you have to get into in order to get through the next stage of the house because it's all really d divided into different stages with a very uh, kind of banal and uh, cheesy opening um, foyer, I guess, or as Americans would call it, foyer, uh, but an opening uh, setup that has uh, just a lot of uh, corny shit, but then the, the it gets resolutely and manifestly more creepy and, and more scary as you go toward the inside. And um, when one member of their party is murdered in front of them, almost in a... Uh, you could almost call it maybe a Grand Guignol style from like, uh, you know, fin de siècle Paris, that kind of what passed for entertainment a hundred and uh, something years ago. But um, that's when the tension is really dialed up because they the group witnesses their friend get a pike through the skull. And uh, but it's it's a, a partly cutaway death as uh, curtains are drawn on the proceedings and the the participants and the principals aren't entirely sure that their friend is dead uh, and that's something that's only revealed to them later. Um, particularly, I think there's a series of armholes that you reach into and as is Halloween style, you reach in and you feel a bunch of gummy worms and you're told that, oh, this is some sort of, uh, you know, entrails or whatever it is or some sort of gooey mass that's supposed to represent the cerebellum or some such thing. And when one... Uh, I believe her name is Mallory, but it could be Angela. I can't remember. One is has their hand in one of these, um, uh, one of these uh, armholes, and uh, loses a ring that she borrowed from her friend Harper. Um, she tries to get assistance to reach in deeper and deeper to get it out, and this is intense because something that. Uh, I mean, the audience knows or suspects highly that there's someone behind the um, armhole, and sure enough. Uh, when the woman gets slashed, the remaining kids know that they're into in for a very, very, very rough ride. Now, as I said, the audience knows that there's perpetrators behind this, and they are very effectively done. There's a, a clown doorman who uh, 
uh, uh, almost like a Venetian uh, style uh, uh, clown, a Pagliacci kind of figure who holds out his hands and and uh, and you know says you know pick a hand that kind of thing. There's him. There's uh, other masked characters who are the perpetrators and the and in effect the murderers who are the ones who put together this house. There's also a you know, this is I think the creepiest moment. There's a room full of of uh, anthropomorphic ghosts and there's a bunch of heads and it almost calls out the scene in Halloween where uh, Michael Myers is wearing the ghost sheet. So you take that and you multiply it by about 30 to 40 and you have that many ghost heads and uh, the character has to go through it not knowing which head is a potential danger and I think that's just super cool. There's also a, <laughs> a bit of a Darth Maul-esque um, devil mask adorned character who's got a pitchfork who is uh you know um who kills uh, one of the uh, one of the kits and that's really 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 well done uh, generally i would say i mean this whole thing is extraordinarily well done and i i confess to being quite surprised by the the quality of this effort i mean i when you go in with near negative expectations because uh when you see just a clown uh uh, mask and mean and uh, with that as the creative uh, collateral for a movie it can get a little bit stale and there's a lot of clown movies and I think you can thank uh, Terrifier and Art the Clown for re reviving and uh, reanimating the genre but it, there tends to be a sameness especially when it's the big top type clown uh, rather than the I think scarier more uh, you know uh, darker uh, Pagliacci type clowns or um what do you call it? Harlequins, I guess. But yeah, the standard big top Barnum and Bailey clown with the red nose can be a little bit uh, cheesy, although I think uh, Rob Zombie did a lot with that uh, as well. And uh, Sid Haig, obviously. But with this one, I mean, all the different characters in this house are terrifying on their own. And that coupled with the fact that the characters are so well drawn out and so. Uh, there's. Uh, speaking of uh, claustrophobia. There's that time-honored scare of uh, something being so terrifying that you have to hide under the bed. I guess the more popular one would be the, the thing under the bed. But uh, one of the characters, Harper, is, is cowering in fear under the uh, bed. And that's when there are some very effective flashbacks uh, employed by Messrs. Uh, Beck and Woods, uh, tying it all back to the woman's terrifying and you know, I won't spoil it, but very sinister and just utterly chilling backstory of her home life. So that's extraordinarily effective. Now we're going to, uh, I guess, segue right now into what I've learned. There's a, just a terrific and, again, the second most terrifying um, uh, event in the film, which involves a hammer, and I won't say anything more about it, but it really uh, leads you in one direction and then, tears off in another, pardon the pun, but it, it's inc incredibly impactful and very, very uh, just sinister and demonic. There's also a witch mask that's uh, uh, used with uh, great effectiveness. And so while this one didn't have, do much in the way of box office, I think it's getting a lot of life on, uh, on streaming services because it's extremely highly regarded as well. It should be. And Katie Stevens is really terrific as Harper in the lead. But, uh, you know, Will Britton as uh, Nathan is her equal as her love interest, and it's uh, highly successful, uh, both their repartee, but also um, the group as a whole. And in terms of star rating, uh, 
uh, for this one, I'm gonna have to like if if you s subtract, I guess the uh, negative per perceptions I had uh, going in, and I would almost have to elevate this to a four-star film. I'm a bit reticent to do that, but I think 2019 wasn't perhaps the best year for horror. Uh, I think superseded easily by 2018, but uh, this one rightly holds an approval rating of 71% based on 45 reviews. And I think fairly enough, you could uh, I, I could push my review to three and three quarter stars. It, um, the Hot Fire Poker, the Witch Mask, the Darth Maul Devil Mask, and just the uh, sinister um, dynamics at play with something that is so far removed from the rest of uh, the town, is it's basically a uh, university town, a small town, Illinois. It's almost like Halloween in a way. Uh, Haddondale. But they actually really remove it from anything that, uh, anything tied to um, society or to the townsfolk or anything. So it's really, really isolated and it's uh, surrounded by a uh, chain link fence as well, which heightens, uh, heightens the uh, atmosphere. This is produced by Eli Roth in part, one of the five producers, and there are uh, a few forays into the kind of torture porn style that he was most uh, known for. So that can be uh, seen in some of the later set pieces that involve uh, some of the more, uh, uh, I guess, more violent survivalist horror type uh, uh, type scenes that are at play. So that, I think, uh, subtract a little bit from that. But uh, all in all, just a fantastic effort and... Um, kudos and applauds to everyone involved and I, I'd be curious to fill out the ledger sheet for other funhouse type movies with again the Toby Hooper funhouse but also Hellfest and, and whatever else I can find in this space. So I hope everyone enjoys Halloween and you continue to enjoy the Really Awful Movies podcast with new episodes uploaded for your listening enjoyment every Friday and as a reminder as we're talking horror in the midst of fall Check out our book, Forward, written by uh, Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Films. It's uh, Death by Umbrella, the 100 Weirdest Horror Movie Weapons. It's a lot of fun, and I think you'll really enjoy it. And uh, we, we might even have to update that with another edition with all the, all the new and unique weaponry being used in horror films uh, right up into the state. Anyway, I shall talk to you soon, and take care. Thank mm -hmm. you.